Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, we are going to pick it up from last time we finished the, the warning part of the third warning. And today the Lord picks it up in Hebrews 6 verse 9, giving encouragement on why you should heed those warnings. It's because better things are ahead as a result of you being obedient to the Lord and heeding those warnings. And these better things that are ahead, it's, this is so interesting. It's just all throughout the Bible. And so I think this message will, will really be a blessing to a lot of you watching and, and here today. If you are weary in your walk with the Lord, this is a word for you today. If, you, if you've been running hard and walking this walk with the Lord and you're growing weary or tired in any way, this is a message from God in terms of be encouraged, be strengthened, better things are ahead. And those better things, again, as we go into Hebrews and what God has for us, we've really got to lean on the Holy Spirit to teach us what are those better things. What does God have for us as his people looking ahead in the kingdom? And where is that? Where are we on that timeline? What, what is happening right now in your walk with the Lord? And are you being strengthened? Are you growing weary? Are you, are you growing a little bit blinded and run down, right, by pressing on and not seeing past the obstacle, right? When the children of Israel were roaming the wilderness, the Lord kept telling them to press on. But if you really look at photographs, at the walk they took, they couldn't see very far ahead. They could only see behind all these mountains and these turns and through these trails. They couldn't see much more than from here to the back of that parking lot out there. That's how, that's how tight it was and how they had to rely on the Lord in a lot of ways to trust him that better things are ahead. And that's true with us today. You've got to rely on the Lord and look past the obstacles in this life and recognize through the Holy Spirit that better things are ahead and have confidence from 1 John 2, 28, that those better things, you have confidence that Jesus is coming to take you home. At some point soon, he is coming to take you home. And so on our outline here, the spiritual maturity, we're kind of bridging these two bullet points from uh, 6 verse 8 where we picked it up last week to now we're going to go through 6 verse 15. And then the next few chapters kind of dive into this new and better priestly, priestly covenant of the Lord. And so the verses we're going to take today, there's seven verses here, and or I'm sorry, six verses here. And it's going to be, it's going to be a, a tremendous encouragement, I hope. So we finished through the third warning, danger of failing to mature. We're getting through that. And really, the, I've linked it into that third warning because this is the encouragement on why you should not fail to mature. This is God picking up that warning and going, hey, I've given you the warning, but let me tell you why I've given you the warning. It's because these better things are ahead 
for us in the kingdom. And remember, each warning builds off each other. And so it ultimately culminates with that apostasia or apostasy. And so in the middle of this third warning, it's right in the middle, right? Because there's five warnings. So we've covered two and we've got two left. And right in the middle, the halfway point of, this, of these warnings, the way God has structured the book, is this encouragement to press on, to look up and look up to your Redeemer and press on. So the warnings are in place because God wants you to have a better position in him and your walk with him. And he does not forget the work that you have labored toward and endured for his kingdom. God does not forget. And I know a lot of times in your life, it seems like you've been working hard for something and there hasn't been a return yet. And what this part of this message is, God does not forget. And that reward may not be in your life right now. It may be after you go into the kingdom with Jesus. There are benefits and rewards right now, absolutely. But God always plays the long game. And so he's a righteous and just king. And patiently enduring and walking is the key. From Isaiah 40, verse 31 but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Okay, when you're waiting on the Lord, there's a, there's a promise tied to it of renewal, this promise of renewal. So if you are growing weary, there's a promise of renewing when you're waiting on him, a promise that it's almost like your battery's low and he's going to just recharge you, but you've got to take space and time to let him do that. So, renewing shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint so i want you to notice the order there because it's important when you first get saved or god has given you a mission to something you can run and sprint and not grow weary because you're kind of running off of adrenaline for a little bit but it's the, the true test comes in the walking. When you have to stop and you've really got to live it out and walk what he called you to do, to not faint, to walk and not faint, that is the biggest challenge for every believer on planet Earth is to walk and not faint. You see so many people get radically saved. God saved them out of something they're running on adrenaline. They're excited because they, the chains are broken finally, and they're chasing after the Lord. And then what sets in a year later, two years later, sometimes 10 years later, they slow down, and they're not, they don't know how to run with endurance and patiently walk with God because they give it all at the beginning, and then a few years down the road, they are totally worn out, and they can't do it anymore. And so Isaiah 40, 31, that's, that link from the Old Testament is so important for this message today. So the book is built on these five warnings for you to not slip back, but to patiently walk because the kingdom is at hand. And 90 plus percent of modern churches for the last hundreds of years, several hundreds of years, have never really focused on the kingdom and it, it was actually ruled, outlawed in ancient times, in ancient Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, because of what it told. It, it basically says that a righteous king will come and set up his kingdom from Jerusalem. 
and it's the promise that the angel Gabriel gave Mary, and a lot of evil uh, leaders around the world don't really like that message, right? That a righteous king's going to come and deceit them and set up his kingdom. And so it's been ignored for a, a long time. But that is why. That's why God wants you to heed these warnings and press on. And after the third warning we covered, God begins to declare why you should heed those warnings because better things are ahead. That's the encouragement right now. And if you remember from, I know a lot of us in 2020, especially early on when the whole world shut down, you kind of needed that encouragement that, man, better things are ahead. This is, the sun will come out tomorrow. This too shall pass. Better things are ahead. So the opening verse of the message today, Hebrews 6 verse 9, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So it's building on that warning. Remember, failing to mature. And the word beloved in the Greek, it literally means beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite, or worthy of love. It's the same word that God uses of Jesus in Matthew 3, verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And I, I love that the Lord calls Jesus his beloved. It's the same word he's using of you and I if you are saved. You are his beloved. And God is pleased with you. He just wants better things for you. And so you've got to keep pressing on. And in Matthew 3.17, this word here, in whom I am. And we sang that song this morning about this. And I didn't talk to Chris about this at all or, or the worship team, but I love how the Holy Spirit does this at times between the worship and his message for all of you. But the beloved son, this is my favorite name of Jesus throughout the Bible, is I am. Remember the voice of the burning bush to Moses when Moses said, whom shall I tell them sent me? And Jesus says, tell them I am that I am. And then later on in John Jesus lays claim to be the voice in the burning bush when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so that's why they picked up stones to try to kill him is because he was linking in that message, that verse, all the way back to the burning bush that he is the I am. And look what the Father's saying here. This is my beloved son in whom I am. So Jesus is the embodiment of everything that the I am is. And the other thing I love about that title if you are weary or needing strength today, is that he is anything that you need. So I am, and then you fill in the blank. What do you need? Do you need encouragement? Do you need strength? Do you need direction? Do you need teaching from him on how to better discipline your children? Do you need teaching from him on how to wrap your arms around your kids and come alongside them and pour into them? Jesus is all of that. So you get the opportunity to go to the source of everything that you need, the I am. And so that is a, it's a beautiful, beautiful verse and a beautiful truth that Jesus is anything that you need to press on. And so the beloved, look what he's saying here, but beloved. Remember, this entire book of Hebrews is addressing saved people. There is there is nowhere in this book that the Holy Spirit wrote on how to get saved. It's after you get saved, what do you do with it? So this is a book to us, the beloved, his beloved people. 
Okay, the second word here, we are persuaded in the Greek. It carries the follow, following meanings. Look at all these. To persuade, to induce one by words, to believe, to make friends of, to win one's favor, gain one's goodwill, to seek, to win one, strive, to please one, to be persuaded, to suffer oneself, to be persuaded, to be induced, to believe, to have faith in a thing. And so we are persuaded. We are seeking to win one, the beloved. God is seeking to win you back if you've gone through these steps of warnings and you've let your grip on Jesus slip, you're, you're starting to drift away and you're hardening your heart and failing to mature. That's, he's calling you, trying to persuade you, come back. And we talked a lot about that last time with that really difficult passage of if you have fallen away and you're continuing these two present actions, it's impossible to come back. And so God is saying, come back, stop those two present actions because better things are ahead. And if you heed these warnings and continue to press on, we have absolute faith that better things are ahead because do you trust God's word or not? It's kind of that simple. Do you believe that he is going to fulfill everything he wrote and promised or not? Because if you do, it will change every single thing you do in your life, every day. It will change how you live, how you talk to people, how you behave, how you follow him. If you really have that in your heart, your mornings and your days will look different every day because at any single moment, you could go home to meet him. And then better things are ahead from there. So you've got to heed these warnings. So what does God mean when he says, accompany salvation. Look at that, the kind of back half of the verse. We are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Things that accompany salvation. First of all, James 2.20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, don't be confused, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we've talked about this a ton. Faith, being saved is by faith. Remember Abraham, or Abram, really, at the time. He was, it was accounted to him righteousness through faith. So he was saved by faith, not of works. But what accompanies salvation James 2.20 and 2.26, that faith without works is dead. So accompanying your salvation and your faith in God should lead to fruit-bearing and works for the kingdom. That's what God is saying, that if you have been saved and you're not bearing any fruit for his kingdom, what are you saved for? Yes, eternal life indeed, to have a place with him in his presence for all eternity, but he's telling you that if you've been saved, he, he wants you to do something with it. And that involves fruit bearing. So it's all about obedience and bearing fruit for him. And so if you're not bearing fruit, then God considers your faith as dead. That's what he's saying in James chapter 2. That you're, and you do not want your faith to be dead. So how do you do that? What does that look like? 
in terms of bearing fruit. So being an ambassador of the king and the importance of bearing fruit, it's throughout, honestly, the entire Bible. And God uses this idiom to make, a, make this point. We actually just covered this in men's Bible study on Friday. But in Ezekiel chapter 15, God is declaring, so if you don't know the background, the children of Israel are in the land. They've gone past David, past Solomon. They've gone through the civil war. There's the northern and southern kingdom. And they have gotten so bad in, back into idolatry that God declares he has to take them captive to Babylon and, and let the land rest to kind of reset everything. Part of that, they went to Babylon for 70 years because they were supposed to till the land six years and let it rest the seventh, and they didn't do that for 490 years. And so they had 70 years, 490 divided by seven, that they didn't let the land rest. And so God says, you owe me 70 so that's why in Jeremiah, he declares that they will be taken to Babylon for 70 years. But a lot of the other reasons are that they were, idol they were into idolatry big time. And they didn't obey the Lord from Deuteronomy and Exodus and Numbers to not serve the gods of the nations surrounding them when they came into the land. And because they didn't heed that warning, they were not bearing fruit and thus, God uses this, this idiom right here of them being a vine not bearing fruit. And so, God declares this judgment on Israel, and one of the key reasons is not being a fruit bearer. And the same is true with your life today. You are to bear fruit. So, look at Ezekiel 15 here. Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree, or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pin of it to hang any vessel thereon? So a vine tree. A vine is really good for nothing other than bearing fruit, first of all. That's the only thing a vine does. You don't make anything out of vine wood. You don't make a table. You don't make a chair. You don't make a dresser. It's totally useless other than to bear fruit. And that's what God is saying you're to replicate. You are to bear fruit. And he's even saying Israel in verse 3 there. Ezekiel 15.3, that the, the house of Israel has gotten so bad that he doesn't even want to make a nail out of them to hang something from. That's how bad they've gotten. And so in verse 4, Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. The, the fire devoureth both the ends of it, and the midst of it is burned. Is it meat for any work? So the vine is going to be cast into the fire, and that's why God is taking them captive off to Babylon. And those that refused to believe him were totally wiped out and destroyed and cast literally into the fire. They were taken out by Babylon. So they were good for no work. In verse 5, behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. Meaning even though God kept it in place for all of these hundreds and hundreds of years, it did nothing productive. And there is one thing that you will learn in your walk. If you are stagnant and doing nothing productive for the king, he will move on and use somebody else and take you out of the game. He'll just set you aside until you get your act together and, and move on and work through somebody else's life. So in verse 5, Behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. How much less shall it be meat yet for any work when the fire hath devoured it and it is burned? And so God is using this, 
this picture of a vine for us. He picks that same picture up, Jesus does, and he uses this throughout the entire New Testament. So Jesus has so much to say about fruit bearing and bearing fruit for the kingdom. Look at John 15, 1 through 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So get the picture. Jesus is saying, if you're not bearing fruit, it's going to, you're going to be purged so that you can bring forth more fruit. Somebody else can bring more, forth more fruit. Or if your vine has an issue with it, there could be a pruning in your life that God, it, all of you have had a tree at some point or a plant or something that there's a dead limb on it and you've got to prune it so the tree can remain healthy, right? It's the same thing with your life. If you've got something in your walk and in your life that God does not approve of, he may have to prune that. And that may look like taking friends out of your lives, moving people on out of your life that shouldn't be there, that are bad influences, that are not conducive to a healthy walk with him. So Matthew 7, verses 16 through 20, ye shall know them by their fruits. Now that's an important concept too because God wants you to recognize those that are in him by fruit bearing. You should look around and see people and know okay, that's a believer, that's a Christian. They act different, they talk different, they behave differently. They're not swayed by things of the world. They are staying strong in their faith. They have a prayer life. They are asking how they can pray for you and I. All of those kind of things, that's knowing them by their fruits. And so do men gather grapes or thor- of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. God will give you some time, right, to correct your life and so that you can get your act together to bear fruit. But there comes a point again that if you are stagnant and not bearing fruit long enough, that you may just be hewn down and set aside. And that's, again, these warnings are like that, that if you're going to continue in this sin, going back to last week, God may just set you aside. It's impossible to turn your heart back. And so he's going to move on. Matthew 3.10, And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees, Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So it's the same. Jesus is saying the same thing. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. And again, you'll know them by their fruit. Guess what? When you're bearing good fruit, people know you by that also. So you may... You may be someone that is an absolute prayer warrior that you are constantly noticing with a gift of discernment what people need prayer for, and you're going to them. Hey, the Lord Lord told me to pray for you in this manner. I just want you to know I'm doing that. It may not even be something that you know what's going on, but I, I know people that do that constantly, 
and they are just kind of known as a prayer warrior. So whatever it is, sometimes it's encouragement. There's certain people that are really great exhorters and encouragers to people in the walk with them. You know, there's people that are, are givers. They give constantly, whether not just money. I just mean it could be anything in their house. So they're just constantly getting things out and giving it to people in need. So whatever it is in your life, just lean into that so people know you by your fruit. Know you by your fruit. That's bear fruit for the kingdom. Luke 6, 44. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. In other words, there's a certain type of tree, and it's not going to bear different fruit than what it was created for. And so that's an important concept to have in your walk, too. Don't try to put a burden on yourself to produce something that God did not equip you to produce. You'll know it when you're on the right path, when it's, a, it's an, an act of ease and joy and contentment. People are, Kelly Mason and Chris are so anointed in worship, and they're bearing fruit in that manner. They're, so look and ask the Lord, what gift do you want me to lean into and pursue to help bear fruit for your kingdom. So in the parable of the sower, that issue is even fruit bearing. In Matthew 13, 8, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. So there is a multiplication involved too in the, in the kingdom in terms of when you're bearing fruit for him, some of it might be 30, some 60, some 100, and when you, when you start seeing a lot of it multiplied, you know you've hit exactly where the Lord wants you. In Luke eight fifteen, But that on the good ground are they which in, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, kept it, and bring forth fruit with patience. You know, a tree doesn't bring forth fruit every single season. It has a season, and it patiently does other things during the year. The same is for us. Don't think that the fruit of what you're doing is going to show up tomorrow. With patience, it could be years from now. It could be decades from now. It could be something that, again, like I said, doesn't show up until the kingdom. And I, when I started going through the, all these verses about fruit bearing in the New Testament, I could not believe how many there were about fruit bearing. It's almost, it's almost like God wants us to pick up this whole concept. <laughs> he put it in here over and over and over again. Luke 13, he spake also unto the parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Notice the concept there, what Jesus is saying, too. He gave this specific tree or person three years to try to bear fruit, and they didn't. And, and why cumbereth it the ground? In other words, why is it taking up space, resources, energy, time, out of my kingdom? Let's move on from it. And it could take years for that to happen. But God will eventually purge people that are not bearing fruit for the kingdom. In John 4:26, and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, 
that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And see, part of it too, and God, God is the only one that knows the intents and thoughts of the hearts. And so why are you doing something? Is it for faithful service? Is it to reward the kingdom and not yourself? Is there pride involved? God knows all of that. And he's a just king that will weigh that at the end of it all. But you may, you may bear fruit in a way that you don't even see the end of it in terms of you planted a seed. I mean, how many of you have talked and witnessed to someone about Jesus and the need for him, and you never saw that person come to know the Lord? And then it may be decades later through a friend or, or heck, I don't know, even an update on social media or something, which I'm not on, so I don't. I don't get that very often, <laughs> but it may be something where you see, oh, wow, so-and-so got saved, and that was, I knew them from 20 years ago, and we prayed together, and I had no idea. So you may plant a seed, and somebody else comes along and waters it down the road, and waters it with the Holy Spirit, and by them being obedient to the king. And so don't, don't be discouraged if you don't see the full bearing of what you're doing. Just be obedient Okay, in John, uh, John 12, 24, die to yourself to bear fruit. Look at this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and it die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, why is the Lord using this, this whole concept of a corn of wheat? So, but if you die to yourself, it's exactly what Jesus said. Take up your cross daily crucify the flesh, die to yourself, and serve the kingdom. Now, you can make a link here, too, to the Matsuroff in terms of the corn. So if you're not aware of this, not to go on too much of a rabbit trail, but the 12 constellations in the, in the stars, God set those in the beginning in Genesis. So remember, I placed the stars for signs and for seasons. Okay, then you get to Psalms. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord in the firmament showeth his handiwork. So when you look at those 12 constellations, they were originally intended to lay out the redemptive plan of God. It's from the virgin Virgo to the line of the tribe of Judah. That whole, that whole story of redemption is in those stars. And the enemy has taken it and twisted it into what we call the zodiac today, which is demonic and evil. Don't have anything to do with horoscopes. Don't even touch them. Don't read them. Don't let that into your life. But they have twisted that into fortune-telling and necromancy and all kinds of wickedness that the, the Bible strictly prohibits. But that, that the Lady Virgo in that constellation is holding that ear of corn. That's where Jesus is linking this to, a corn of wheat falling into the ground and die. He's speaking of himself going into the tomb in the middle of the earth, dead. But because of that, because he died to self, He's bearing much fruit, and that fruit has been the church for the last almost 2,000 years. So there can come a point when you are stagnant too long, and Matthew 21 hits that. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. So it's not bearing fruit. It just looks like a tree like the rest of the trees. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. So God is using that same thing. Okay, the stagnation. You weren't bearing fruit. It's, not, it's out of the game. 
So bearing fruit for the Lord is your calling, okay? John 15, 8. Hearing is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. He wants you bearing fruit. God wants you to be a fruit bearer. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So he wants you to go out and bring forth fruit. So we should also rejoice when you see a believer bearing fruit. Look at Philippians 4.17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So the Holy Spirit through Paul was rejoicing when other believers were bearing fruit, they were rejoicing together in the work that they were doing. Okay, so that's, that's a lot about fruit bearing. I hope you got the message from, <laughs> from the Lord. But by participating in these things that accompany salvation, better things are ahead for you. So what are those better things? Inheritance, rewards for faithful service, contentment in this life, joy regardless of circumstances, persevering in the faith, peace, provision. He's promised not to forsake you. Strength, a sound mind, a loving heart for your kids, a ministry of giving. It, it could go on and on and on. This is not an all-inclusive list. I'm just, I put down some thoughts just to spur your heart and mind into what is that, what accompanies salvation. Those are some things. God does not want you to live a stressed out, anxious life of trying to get more of the world. He wants you to live a life of total peace, total contentment, fruit bearing for the kingdom, and walking with absolute patience into the kingdom at the end of this. That's what he wants. So taking on the name of the king and going to be a bold ambassador Right? It's, it's, again, it's my favorite of the Ten Commandments. Don't take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Don't do that. Don't get saved and take his name in vain. Look at Psalms 139, verse 20. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. God takes that very seriously, that you are to be an ambassador Okay, verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You know, God is so faithful. His scales are the only scales of just weight in the entire universe. He is faithful and just, and he does not forget all that you do on behalf of the kingdom. So again, how many of you have felt like you've labored and worked before and not been recognized? I know all of you have had that feeling. Even as a kid, you know, you do something awesome and, not, and don't get recognition. You have that feeling. That feeling goes away when you recognize who is the rewarder of man, and it's Jesus, and that he is waiting for you to walk into that kingdom and to see everything you labored for in your life. One of the songs they sang today, Count Your Days, the Lord reminded me, okay, if you have, again, this whole hope will rise and looking beyond what you're in right now, if you've got 30 years left on this, on this earth, 
that's 1,560 weekends. Just think about that. 1,560 weekends if you've got 30 years. And you can do the math backwards and forward then, but just put that into perspective. If you've got 60 years, it's only 3,120 weekends. It doesn't really matter how many years you've got left. They're not that long, (laughs) whether it's 10, 30, 40, 60 they're not that long, and, and the Lord may call us home before that in the rapture, and so count your days. That's in the Bible, the Lord says that, to be diligent, to number your days. Recognize that this race does not go on forever. This race has, a, has an end point. It has a determinist end point, and you and I don't know what that is, and so you've got to press on because you don't know when the Lord is going to call you home. It, it, and it could be before the rapture, he just may decide to bring you home. So keep that in mind and put that in perspective that the Lord, he always plays the long game. So don't forget that all that you do on behalf of the kingdom, he has it in mind. He has it. So he's a just, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor. Just don't forget that. The verse is the encouragement that you may not see the reward for the work in this life, but rather later in the kingdom. And again, God's not forgotten your suffering and laboring on his behalf. So press on. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 12. Remember, this is is the point where all of this gets paid out to you at the end of it all. At the, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So his salvation is the foundation that's laid. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. So the whole picture is at the Bema seat of Christ, which just means the seat of rewards. It's for those that are in him. You were saved, so that foundation was laid that is Jesus. You stand before it, and every single thing you did in your life, from the beginning of your salvation to the time of your departure— that time period, every single thing is tried by fire. And if it was for the kingdom, it is gold, silver, and precious stones. If it was not, if it was of the flesh and for the world, it was wood, hay, stubble, and it's just gone forever. But your work is going to be made manifest to the king. And if any man's work abide, he, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Because God is not unrighteous to forget your works of which you labor. If any man's work shall be burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Remember, what is on trial there is not your salvation. It's what you did with it. So there could be a, there's going to be a lot of people that come into the kingdom saved, but everything they did in their life may burn up as wood, hay, stubble, because they took on the name of the king in vain and did nothing with it. So we also know that this event, it has to happen in between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. Because when we get to the throne room of the universe in Revelation 4 and 5, 
the 24 elders are crowned. They're already crowned. So look at Daniel 7, 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. So the thrones are set in Daniel 7. Daniel gets this vision of the throne room of the universe. The thrones are set. Now, when you study this further, there are three spots in the Old Testament that you get a vision of the throne room of the universe. It's Daniel, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. And all of them have a lot in common, but none of them show, none of them show who's sitting on those thrones, the 24 elders. It's because the church was hidden in the Old Testament. And so it's revealed in Revelation 4 and 5, 4 verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. This is straight out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and on, which said, Come up hither, or get up here, harpazo, get out quickly, evacuate the earth, my people, and come up home, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter or after the church age. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne, and he that set was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold." So these 24 elders, they're crowned. The rapture's occurred. They're in the throne room of the universe. They are crowned. And it's after that point that Jesus takes the scroll and starts the seven-year tribulation. So the question is, who are the 24 elders? Well, Revelation 5, 8 through 10 answer that question. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And that is exactly who the church is. The church is made up of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And then verse 10 is really kind of the nail in the coffin for who they are. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So get the order. The rapture, you're at the judgment seat of Christ. Everything you did in the spirit is a gold, silver, and precious stones. You have crowns as a result, and you move on to the throne room of the universe. You are sitting there crowned. We're going to watch Jesus take the scroll, the title deed of the earth, start to unlock it. And we come back with him in Revelation 19 after the seven-year tribulation, and we reign on the earth with him. That's when everything that you did to labor for his kingdom may get paid out at that point. It may take that long. So if you believe God is righteous and just also, then you should, also, you should never harbor unforgiveness. So think about this. Harboring unforgiveness means that you do not think the Lord will vindicate you in that situation. So just think about that, seriously. I know a lot of people who have been somehow um, 
very troubled right early on. There's a lot of things that have happened in your life in the past. There's a lot of things happened in my life in the past. But if you harbor unforgiveness against those people in that situation, you are not trusting that God will vindicate it because you've got to let that go and, le- and know that the Lord is righteous and will make that just and will vindicate you in that situation. So if you believe that you need to take that situation into your own hands, it starts to isolate you. You can let unforgiveness build up in your life to the point that you just, you kind of isolate yourself because you don't trust that anyone else will make it right, but Jesus will make that right. And as soon as you let that go, it is one of the most freeing things you will ever experience in your life when you let go of unforgiveness. Look at Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So if any of you here are watching online, if you've got unforgiveness, just trust that God will make it right. That he alone is just and he'll remedy that situation. And it may, again, it may not be until the kingdom, but he'll settle the issue. He'll settle the issue. So in verse 11, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Finishing strong is exactly what God wants of us. So you've got to walk with diligence until the end. God's standard is that when sin happens, you remedy it immediately. You go to him, you go to the throne room of the universe, you make it right, and you plead on, on his behalf for forgiveness. You can't let sin beset you and keep you in chains. And we talked a lot about that last week. He paid for it, so let him take it. He paid for it. So let him have a full authority in your life and take that. Look at David and Solomon. What's the difference between these two guys? Both of them totally blew it at the end of their lives, right? David committed adultery, followed up by murder, followed up by lying, followed up by taking a census and putting his trust in his army. All things that God said not to do. Solomon, you were not supposed to multiply wives, horses, or wealth as a king in Israel, and he did all three. He totally blows it at the end. But what's the difference? God has nothing bad to say about David. Absolutely nothing. So the standard's not perfection. The standard is the willingness to chase after perfection. And that's the difference. David, every single time, was repentant and ran to the king. Solomon took it in his own and just said, yeah, it's okay, I I can keep doing this. But David is a man after God's own heart. And Solomon is one that, despite all of his wealth, a flower in the field is arrayed better than him. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 28 and 29. Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So despite, I think Solomon would be a guy that the entire world would look at and go, man, this guy's got it all. Look at him. He's the wealthiest man to ever live on planet Earth. He, he probably had more money and amassed more wealth and things and stuff than anyone else in the history of the world, including today. Think about that. But yet God is saying this little flower in the field is better than that man. Now, 
he's using such a, an extreme example to make a point, though. The point is Solomon was not repentant at all. He didn't care. And he just chased after the things of the world, and he got the things of the world, and God tells you exactly what he thinks about getting the things of the world. It doesn't matter to him. The world's going to reward their own, right? And a lot of people have problems with that as Christians, right? Why, are, why do the unjust succeed and have all this wealth or have this or that? The world is a rewarder of those in the world. And you, this is not your world. Your world is to come. It's not this one. So just wait. And that's God is declaring that here. In verse 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who, th- who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there are a lot of unconditional promises made by God in the Bible that are still yet to be fulfilled. For example, the land grant to Israel, Genesis 15, there did have the land from the river Euphrates, which is in the middle of Iraq, to the river Nile, the river Egypt. Okay, they've never occupied that at all, ever. But God has an unconditional promise to Abram that they will. Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. It's not been fulfilled, but it will be. In the millennium, that will be fulfilled. His people are still faithfully waiting to inherit the promises. Look at Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. By faith, speaking of Abram, he sojourned in the land of promise as in strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham even roamed the desert looking for the new Jerusalem. He looked for a city whose foundations are God, are laid by God, a city whose maker is the king, not a city built by man. How did Abraham know that a new Jerusalem was coming? You know, that's not in Genesis by that point. So how did he know that? Well, God had obviously laid it on his heart. God obviously told him at some point, and that's why Hebrews 11 pulls that out. I just love when God puts those treasures in places that you don't read about beforehand. He connects the whole thing. Okay, the last three verses here, uh, Hebrews six thirteen through 15. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. You know, when God made this covenant with Abraham, he put him into a deep sleep, and Abraham was alone and on the ground and asleep, and the, and the God of the universe walked in a figure eight, or an infinity pattern through that sacrifice and declared that unconditional promise. God recited the terms of that covenant on his own by his name, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And it's Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And that's come true in a lot of ways. When you look at the United Kingdom, for example, after World War II, they forsook their commitment to Israel, and they've never been the same since. 
And from that point on, the last 80 years, they have their GDP growth has gone down, uh, violent crime has gone up, divorce rates. They have ungodly leaders leading their nation. God removed a big blessing from England from that point on. And a lot of people are just wondering, is that blessing still there for the United States? You know, if we start to forsake Israel, God has a curse on that because it's his people, and he declares it right here in Genesis 12. I will bless thee that bless you. So in verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. So Abram was 100 years old when he had Isaac, and that's from Genesis 21.5. So he was 75 years old when the promise was given. He had to wait 25 years for that to be fulfilled. And he tried, and all of you know the story of Abraham, he tried in a lot of ways to take that under his own strength and to make it come to fruition. He tried to have a child with Hagar. He tried all kinds of things to make that happen. But God had a different idea. And that's why when God says, go sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, that he, Abraham had other children. But God's promise was for Isaac, not for Ishmael. And so God did not regard him as a, as a covenant of that promise. And it's why there's been so much strife with the, the Saudis or the Arabs and, and the Muslims and the Israelites and the Jews for thousands and thousands of years. The other thing, my wife pointed this out as she was preparing the, the kids' lesson for all of your kids this week. You know, Abram had two promises from God. I'll multiply your seed as much as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And I love how she put it that Abram couldn't look down or up without seeing God's promise in day or night. So it was all around him, that promise. And keep that in mind. As you're walking this walk with the Lord, that promise of better things ahead are all around you. So to remember that, the call to action, I just wanted to put these two slides in here again, that the crowns and the rewards in the Bible, better things are ahead. So for faithful service, remember, there are these five crowns in the Bible, and it's not an all-inclusive list. Each of these is tied to something that you do on behalf of the kingdom. There's a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory, crown imperishable, crown of rejoicing, and then for the rewards to the overcomer, in Revelation 2 and 3 and 21, to eat of the tree of life, not hurt of the second death, hidden manna with a white stone and a new name, power over the nations, white raiment, a pillar and a new name, to sit with Christ on his throne, and to inherit all things. Those are just some of the promises you have to patiently endure and walk with the Lord. And so how are you an overcomer? Will you remain loyal to God? You overcome trials and tribulations while remaining faithful. You're spiritually zealous for the Lord. You do not deny Jesus. You do not defile your garments. You're without spot, wrinkle, or blemish from Ephesians 5. And you keep the word of his patience in Revelation 3, verse 10. So all of that is how you become an overcomer. So if you're watching this today and you're not saved, if you're here in this room today and you need to know the Lord, it's simple. Because once you're saved, then you have walking with the Lord from the book of Amos. 
So if you need if you need prayer, if you need anything, reach out to us. There's our email address. Uh, we're starting to get a lot of prayer requests in, so we're going to get those out to the prayer team here soon. And if you just if you need anything, if you need help, if you need um, us to not only pray with you, but to come alongside you in some way, in something you're going through in your life, please reach out. That's what everybody's here for, is a community of believers to support one another. So with that, I'll close us in prayer. God, I thank you so much for the promise that better things are ahead and that, Lord, hope will rise. And God, though at times the the world in which we live, which we are sojourners and pioneers and just passing through, though it's dim and dark and bleak at times, and God, the trials of this life and everything that you go through in your daily walk can at times weigh you down. Jesus, we thank you that all we have to do is to come to your throne room and bow at your feet and renew our strength by you to continue pressing on because better things are ahead. Let us walk with patient endurance what you've laid out in our lives, God. Thank you. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon everyone here this morning, every family, their children. God, I pray that there is peace in their homes. I pray that there is an abundant amount of contentment and provision and joy and absolute peace under the roof of every person in, the, in here. Let their households be blessed. We love you, God. Be with us as we leave this place. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.